Hello, Psych Central podcast fans. This is your host, Gabe Howard, and I've got some bonus content for you. The latest episode of Inside Schizophrenia, a Psych Central podcast. Please enjoy. Welcome to Inside Schizophrenia, a look into better understanding and living well with schizophrenia. Hosted by renowned advocate and influencer Rachel Star Withers and featuring Gabe Howard. Listeners, could a change in your schizophrenia treatment plan make a difference? There are options out there you might not know about. Visit oncemonthlydifference.com to find out more about the benefits of once monthly injections for adults with schizophrenia. Welcome to Inside Schizophrenia. I'm Rachel Starr here with my co host, Gabe Howard. Gabe, today, interesting topic. Love, dating, marriage, while having schizophrenia. As if those three things weren't hard enough. Yeah. (laughs) You can see why we waited so long to do this, because I've known you for a long time, Rachel, and in all that time, you've never wanted to discuss love, dating, or marriage. You're you're okay discussing schizophrenia. Yes. But not love, dating, or marriage. So this is going to be fun. Yeah. I'm not a great source for relationship advice, because I'm single. (laughs) <laughs> like that's the end of the story i i you know that's very fair yeah i, I have been <laughs> for a long time and you're happy being single you're yeah sure whatever <laughs> no i mean seriously the, the, are, are you happy being single i'd rather be single than unhappy that's fair okay so i'm fine as i am we'll say it that way you're fine as you are yeah i think the important thing for the audience to understand though is that you're not single because of schizophrenia right you don't feel that those two things have any relation. You do have schizophrenia and you are single, but they're... Do you understand what I'm trying to say? If you're asking me, could I just find someone? Yes, I could. But you'd be unhappy in that relationship. Right. Yeah. I know that schizophrenia wraps around your entire life, but you don't feel that schizophrenia is holding you back. You just haven't met the right person and you have very high standards and you're an impressive woman. You should have high standards. Another way for high standards is shallow. You're not shallow. <laughs> That's all I like to say, shallow. <laughs> You're not high sh- standards, shallow, <laughs> whichever. Luckily, luckily, we found a married couple. Yes. We found Andrew and Stephanie Downing, who are the authors of Marriage and Schizophrenia, Eyes on the Prize. I had no idea that this existed, but Rachel, you've been aware of this book for quite some time, even before we interviewed them for the show. And what's cool is, so Andrew the husband, he has schizophrenia. And uh, they found out and then they got married. So it wasn't like they'd been together and then suddenly something happened a few years. She went in knowing that this is something that they're going to have to deal with together for the rest of their lives. And what was really cool about the interview, which is coming up a little later, is we interviewed them both at the same time. And I thought they were very, very candid. It was really interesting to hear their thoughts on this idea that people with schizophrenia shouldn't get married and shouldn't have kids. Rachel, what do you think about that concept that people with schizophrenia either should not be in romantic relationships or what we most often hear cannot be in stable relationships? I think people with schizophrenia can do anything relationship-wise. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, as is most things in life. The schizophrenia is just something else added on. The reason two people break up may have nothing to do with schizophrenia. It could be the mother-in-law is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) It could be they're just really annoying. They snore at night and you just can't take it. You can only take so many years without sleep. So there's like silly reasons and like serious reasons why people do or don't get married or do or don't stay married. Backing off from schizophrenia for a moment, just talking about general mental illness, as longtime listeners of the show know, I have bipolar disorder and I have been divorced twice. And I'm fascinated at the number of people who hear that I have bipolar disorder and hear that I got divorced. That's it. That's all they know. They weren't around when I was married. They're just meeting me for the first time. I've been happily married for eight years now. And they're like, oh, you got divorced twice? Bipolar disorder, right? I mean, Gabe, I've always assumed you ran them off. (laughs) I understand why people feel that way. I, I do. It is an easy conclusion to draw. And much in the same way with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder is all encompassing. To say that it had zero to do with it is certainly disingenuous. Rachel, I feel that 
following these stereotypes removes agency and responsibility from the people involved. And I think this doesn't give us an opportunity to grow. I believe that the divorces were my fault. And that allowed me to be very introspective, look into myself and grow as a person. If I would have taken the company line, oh, it's because I have bipolar disorder, then I don't know that I would have improved and I don't think that I would be happily married now. How do you feel about people who just blame their love woes on schizophrenia and then don't improve as a person. I imagine that, that you don't feel good about that because I've never, ever seen you use schizophrenia as an excuse for anything. I think if you want an excuse, you're going to find an excuse. Schizophrenia is a really big one that you could be like, well, no one wants me because of this reason. And there's other things like, yes, the medication makes you gain weight. Yes, the medication makes you want to sleep. Most of them have sexual side effects. And you can say all of that does contribute, absolutely. But at the end of the day, I'm responsible for me. And it's my job to find a way to love my life. You know, because those same things I could immediately flip and like, oh, man, I have a really bad job. No one's going to want to be with me. My hair is falling out. Mine is, so don't feel like I'm just pointing out the guys. <laughs> too. Uh, you know, there's so many things, though. If you want an excuse, you will always have one. That's not the way to look at it. And honestly, no one wants to be in a relationship with that. We talked about in preparation for this show, and you told me that you were on dating apps. Do you list yourself on dating apps? You know, hi, woman living with schizophrenia, <laughs> likes dogs. No, if it's someone that I like and we want to meet up for a date, I want them to know that ahead of time. I rather them know going in, hey, she has a mental disorder, blah, 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 than me get attached to them and then bring it up three weeks later and then they leave. I rather you leave than me get attached to you. The downside of that is, yeah, probably makes a lot of people leave, but those don't sound like good people for me. This, of course, is a rampant discussion on mental health message boards. When is the right time to tell? Some people advocate like you uh, immediately. Uh, some people advocate putting it in your dating profile. Other people say before the first date. Some people say in person on the first date. Somebody say by the sixth date. Some people say it's none of their business. Tell them on your wedding day. And when you read through it, all of the reasons seem rational. Now, you said that you tell people before you meet them in person, and then the number one objection to that is, but isn't that a lot? I mean, you've never even laid eyes on this person, and they're already sending you their health history. How did you arrive at that being the perfect time to tell them rather than in person or on date number three? I don't just like send this message being like, hey, by the way, guess what? Can't wait to see you tomorrow <laughs> night. But... I am at a different situation than most people with schizophrenia. I have a web presence. I make a lot of media and different things. And it's usually listed in most of my bios. And I always make sure that we've either looked at each other's Instagrams or something where I have a lot of schizophrenia stuff, Twitter. Like if you were to look over any of my social medias and you didn't realize that I had it, I mean, yeah, I don't know. If it's a case where I'm not sure if they looked at my Instagram, like we haven't friended each other, I usually send them a link to something I've done or just straight up to my website. And I say, hey, by the way, this is me. I work in mental health making media and I also have schizophrenia. I've only had to do the text thing probably about like five to ten times. So it's not like I'm constantly sending out these texts. Most of the time, people just see the social media or whatnot. It's interesting about texting people before you go on a date with them and telling them that you have schizophrenia. I want to say that I am against this method. I think that it's kind of a lot for somebody to see in a text before they've laid eyes on you, met you as a person, been in your orbit. All of that said, my wife, Kendall, I texted it to her and we're now married and just celebrated our eighth wedding anniversary. So it worked. And people were, you know, Gabe, you've just said that you were against it, but you did it. Yeah. I, I had just had a relationship end where I decided that I was going to tell the person on like the third or fourth date. And, and it, it took about six weeks to, to get there. So a lot of texting, a lot of phone calls, but we'd only hung out three or four times. And finally over lunch, I, I told the person, I said, you know, Hey, I want to let you know I have bipolar disorder. And, uh, a couple of days later, she's like, hey, it's too much for me. And like you said, I got attached. The reason that I told that person is because I liked them. I, I enjoyed the six weeks. So here came Kendall on the same dating app. And I was like, I'm just going to get rid of you. And it all worked out. Do you think maybe there just is no right answer? It's whatever happens to you happens to you. 
I would say there's absolutely no right answer. Your gender, your age, your other situations, all of that stuff plays in. Every situation's different and every person is. You shouldn't feel like you have to tell anyone up front. That's your personal business. You mentioned gender differences. Do you think that there's a, a gender difference between a woman telling a, a man that she lives with schizophrenia versus a man telling a woman? Or even in the LGBTQ community, do you think it's different than in the straight community? And I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to speak for a lot of people. I know that's a lot, but you're the research queen. What have you found? Our two episodes we did on gender and schizophrenia definitely check those out if you haven't yet. Um, They're great. They're great. (laughs) We learned that women with schizophrenia tend to have a better social outcome and longer lasting relationships and children than men with schizophrenia. Men tend to be diagnosed with schizophrenia significantly younger, around late teens. And then you have women, the average age, which doesn't apply to everybody, didn't apply to me, around like 30s to mid 30s. So there's a very good chance that a lot of women are already married before it ever is a diagnosis. Whereas you have guys going in knowing, oh no, I have to tell this person this thing. Whereas the women, you're already married, already probably have kids, and then it comes up. So I think just the social constructs are kind of stacked against men on that situation. You know, we always have the joke in society that women are crazy. So I do think a woman could probably get away with saying she has a mental disorder and the other person taking it easier than if a man says it. And unfortunately, like we also learned with gender with the males, usually people hear males with schizophrenia and they think violence. I can imagine this would be hard for dating because your friends would be like, wait, you're, you're dating a schizophrenic? Doesn't that mean that you will be X, Y, Z in your sleep? That's unfortunate because please listen to that episode, schizophrenia and violence. Small, tiny percentage, yes, but there's a small, tiny percentage of violence that exists in society. Uh, schizophrenia doesn't raise or lower it. It just sort of exists within it. Let's talk about that other person in the relationship. So the person who does not have a mental disorder, who is, we're talking just dating, too full on marriage, wherever we're at with that. And that's kind of where me and you are a little bit different, Gabe, where you've had multiple marriages and I've had none, nor been in even close to a stage where that would happen. And in a way, it's good because I don't have anything hanging over my head. I don't feel that I impacted anyone's life that negatively. And I'm not saying, you know, you're a horrible person, but same thing, you know, that is a lot to kind of weigh on you, that your symptoms did affect another person. It's true. And I imagine it's a silver lining to being single. I know I'm prying, Rachel. Thank you for being vulnerable. But do you feel that the fact that you've never been married is sort of a, a plus for you? Because like you said, you don't have any regrets. Your schizophrenia did not impact a love interest. It's a good and bad thing. While I haven't had to deal with those negatives, I also haven't gotten any of the positives. I'm sure you had great moments, positive moments in that marriage. And I think that's something hard for a lot of people with mental disorders who are single. They're like, well, I want that. I want to be in love. I want to have someone. When you look at just your support network, you kind of think, oh, well, what if I'm alone at age such and such, you know, what's going to happen to me after my parents pass away, after, you know, my friends get married and have their own families? Like, what about my support system? And they've even found research that people with schizophrenia, when you're unhappy with your relationship status, you will have worse symptoms than those who are happy with their current relationship. In many ways, it's one of the meanest things about schizophrenia that the disease process is impacted by external factors. If you're in a healthy relationship, your symptoms are less. If you're in an unhappy relationship, your symptoms are worse. But now if you're in no relationship, your symptoms are less or worse depending on how you feel about that. Rachel, as a single woman, are you happy being single and therefore getting the benefits of less symptoms? Or are you unhappy being single? I personally am very happy with like my relationship of nothingness <laughs> <laughs> right now. Like I don't feel like, oh, wow, I really wish, you know, I was married. I really wish, you know. And at age 35, as a woman, most women are either married or 
they're not happy that they're still single and 35. That's not like a good thing. They're like, you know, really throwing that net out there, whatever I can catch at this point. So I do think it's different. I actually get asked quite a lot, why are you single, different things like that. And I'm like, oh, you don't know me. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel, you kind of brought up an interesting point there that you're 35 years old and you're single and that society doesn't like that. I know that my 35-year-old single female friends who do not have schizophrenia just get all kinds of pressure to just relationship up right now because after all, the biological clock is ticking. You're not getting any younger. Do you get more or less pressure because of the schizophrenia in comparison to your non-schizophrenic 35-year-old contemporaries? I get a lot less. And that's been something that's kind of come up. And I don't really let people know that it hurts me, but it it does. It'll kind of come up like subtly. It can be frustrating because I feel that the schizophrenia label is just so like put on certain people and that even people closest to you, your family have these biases against you. And they don't mean to. They absolutely don't mean to, but it is what it is. But an unintentional bias is still a bias. Do you think that people would be surprised if you got married? I absolutely think they would be surprised if I met someone and I was in a relationship and then got married. I I think it would have some bad sides too because, oh, well, thank goodness someone saved her. Really? Even though you've been living for 35 years all by yourself, if you got married tomorrow, the full credit would pass to the spouse. I really think so. And, oh, thank God we were so worried about her. And, okay, now we don't have to, you know, worry she's taken care of. Like, I really do think that there would be a bad side to that of just seeing me like, yeah, as if that other person is my caretaker as opposed to a spouse. When it comes to schizophrenia, caregivers are are very important. The problem, I think, is I don't know that we have like a good definition of caregiver. In many cases, the term caregiver is simply given to the person standing next to the person with schizophrenia. I would like a more robust definition. A caregiver is somebody who is actually giving care on a daily basis, and the person that they're giving care to cannot live without that care. That is what I consider a caregiver. For example, when I had surgery, my wife was my caregiver for a couple of days because I I couldn't stand up without her. That seems like caregiving to me. But two years after surgery, when people are like, oh, well, that's Gabe and his caregiver. What, What care is she giving? Well, you know, because you live with mental illness. Okay, so you're literally just calling her my caregiver because she's standing next to me. Good marriages are based on being equal. And for the most part, people don't consider people living with schizophrenia equal to their caregivers. And that's a very important point, especially for anybody who is looking to get married in the near future is to think about that and even set up some kind of like boundaries because one partner is going to get really burned out quickly if they feel that they're that caregiver, if they feel that they have to take responsibility over this other person, that's just too much for anybody to handle. And that's why support systems are so important. It shouldn't just be you two against the world. It doesn't work in most normal relationships, and it's definitely not going to work when you're dealing with schizophrenia thrown in there too. Make sure that you stay in contact with your friends, that you bring your parents around whenever you feel comfortable If possible, let them come to the therapist with you or the doctor, at least like get to see that side of you and understand even for the partner without the mental disorder, it's important that they have a support group too. You shouldn't be their only sounding board because they're going to get frustrated. They're going to get stressed out. They're going to need other friends to talk to and be like, hey, he did this and I don't know if this is schizophrenia or that's just what being married to a man is like. (laughs) So both sides need a support system. And they need to be able to talk openly without judgment. If there comes a time when one of them needs more care than others, you should already kind of know what you're going to do. Kind of have that plan in place. So, hey, I'm going to be making sure that you take your meds every day. When you get sicker, I'm going to help with this. All right, cool. And then when you have your throat surgery next month, I'm going to buy you so much ice cream. (laughs) 
Rachel, people ask me about my marriage all the time, and they want to know the differences between my marriage and a regular marriage. And that's the first thing that I want to say. There is no difference. I do have a regular marriage. In a regular marriage, there will be challenges. It's for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. That applies to all marriages. I just happen to have this sickness that I need help managing. And and some of that help is very, very tiny. Most days, the only help that I need is my wife reminds me to make a doctor's appointment, not because I'm not managing my mental health, but because the minutia of life gets in the way. And she's like, oh, shoot, you need a physical this week. Don't forget to work in your blood work and pick up the dry cleaning because your blood work is next to the dry cleaner. That's just what life is like. I'm surprised at the number of people that are like, well, no, 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 no. Your marriage must be completely and entirely different because of this one thing. It's not. We can't figure out what to have for dinner either. We're largely not special. (laughs) I think that is a key component. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsor. It can sometimes feel like another schizophrenia episode is just around the corner. In fact, a study found that patients had an average of nine episodes in less than six years. However, there's a treatment plan option that can help delay another episode, a once-monthly injection for adults with schizophrenia. If delaying another episode sounds like it can make a difference for you or your loved one, learn more about treating schizophrenia with once-monthly injections at oncemonthlydifference.com. That's oncemonthlydifference.com. And we're back talking about love, dating, and marriage while having schizophrenia. Rachel, we have a great guest interview, and you were very impressed with their online presence, their book. Honestly, it's one of my favorites, but I might be a sucker for love stories. Andrew and Stephanie Downing, who wrote Marriage and Schizophrenia, Eyes on the Prize, and they are a married couple. He has schizophrenia. Whenever you're looking for books about schizophrenia, not many of them are really upbeat. <laughs> and then you think, oh, wow, marriage and schizophrenia. I, I'm thinking that could also work as a horror title. <laughs> you know, this could go a lot of different ways. And I was reading different parts of their book, and I just really loved their attitude to take on life. And I was surprised by the interview, Gabe. I don't know what I was expecting, but I was just so taken that they were like an open book with us. I thought they were super cool. Let's listen right now. Today, we have Andrew and Stephanie Downing, the authors of Marriage and Schizophrenia, Eyes on the Prize. Andrew, first of all, I'm excited to talk to you, a fellow person with schizophrenia. What's up? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? Very good. And and especially to talk to the both of you. Earlier in the podcast, I stated, so I'm single pretty much forever. So I don't have (laughs) much to put in when it comes to having a major mental disorder and long-term relationships. So I'm excited to talk to the both of you, um, inspired to talk to the both of you. I want to jump right in. What has been the biggest obstacle? We've been through so much. We've been together for 18 years and we've, we've gone through so many different periods. And if you look at the first period of our relationship, you know, there was different challenges and obstacles at that time. And now fast forward to, you know, 18 years later, now there's new obstacles. And so schizophrenia has just really brought us on a really long, different journey with so many different angles. And all the questions you could ask us are going to be different at different times in our life. As I reflect back, the biggest obstacle was when Andrew was in the middle of a psychotic episode, meaning when he did not have a good sense of reality and he was having hallucinations, he was delusional, we were engaged at the time, and he ended up in the psych ward. The night before he ended up in the psych ward, he gave my engagement ring back and it felt like the Andrew that I fell in love with, the Andrew that I knew died on me. It truly felt like a death and the person I knew and fell in love with was gone. And I would say that that was the biggest obstacle Um, showing up at the psych ward and visiting him there and realizing that um, this person that I love is very, very sick. And I was young. And so being together now for 18 years, that was the most difficult time. And that was 16 years ago. So 
that was kind of the biggest obstacle right there at the beginning. So you you got the hardest part over. That's amazing. But what have been some of like the constant stressors throughout your marriage? The big stressors, I would say, is just, you know, instability. Also, um, a big stressor for us has been healthcare. Medication is a stressor. Finding the balance between working through challenges and then also just accepting challenges. Yeah. And when I was first diagnosed with schizophrenia, I was taking a load of medication. And now you fast forward to this part of my life and I'm on a lot less medication. That has made life a lot easier for me in general. The medication and the side effects have been so intense. And dealing with that from the age of 19 and now I'm 38. Uh, has brought so many challenges. Like Steph mentioned, the healthcare as well, just the stress of not knowing that I can afford my medications or finding the right healthcare plan so I can continue to take my medications. All these hoops that we've had to jump through around schizophrenia with medication and healthcare has definitely been an obstacle and a major stressor. Speaking of medication, how do you two deal with changes? So for instance, if the doctor wants to change you to a different type of medication, do you talk to Stephanie about it? Do y'all weigh out the consequences? Because believe me, I understand side effects. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think how much it's disrupted my life, I can't imagine also being a parent and having a spouse with it. It's an incredible challenge. And that probably eight or nine years ago, maybe a little bit more because of the medications and the side effects, trying to keep up to Steph and trying to be a good husband for her and trying to be a good father. I didn't know that I could keep doing it. The side effects from the medications were so intense. They're still intense. And just trying to keep up to people that are not on those medications was incredibly difficult. And there's been many times in my life where I've thought, I don't know if I can do this anymore. So I just feel fortunate to have survived and fortunate that Stephanie has been patient and just willing to deal with my ups and downs and more importantly, my downs, you know, how willing she was to sacrifice to be in my space and allow me to heal. When I first started dating Andrew, he was on a very low amount of medication and he was so lively and talkative and energetic. And that's the guy I fell in love with. And, and I didn't really know any better. And when he started getting sick to the point where he was starting to have more symptoms, he then had to increase again. And he was so different. He was so tired. He was so just lethargic. And he looked sick to me. And that was medication side effects. And so that was very new to me to experience that. And that went on for years that he was just so tired and he seemed so sick to me. And, and I would question like, is everything okay with us? Like, does he just, is things just not going well in our marriage? Is he unhappy? But a lot of that was truly the side effects of the meds. And we've watched him try to adjust and tolerate, but it's had so many effects that it's it's really a lot to talk about. Um, just even thinking about how he's had to change his lifestyle. And if we want to go on a trip, have, making sure he has his medication. And thankfully, he can be the night driver because if he doesn't take his nightly meds, he can stay up all hours of the night, but then he's kind of punished. And the next day, we all kind of feel a little punished when he's so tired throughout the whole entire day. So I think a lot of people think that people go off their meds because they're feeling better and they don't need them anymore. But I think another part of it is that people truly feel sick and, and tired on their medication. I was not very honest with my medications right away. I didn't really want to even talk to doctors about my medications. I just wanted to avoid doctors. And, and I was very closed off as far as discussing medication with people in general. I was more comfortable with Steph and we did and continue to talk just about everything. And she's been so great for that. We just have gotten the pattern of communicating and communicating as much as possible. And I've betrayed that confidence many times with the medications and not told her that I was going to not take the medications anymore. But she's definitely been a process of like, are you on enough meds? Do you need more? 
Do you need to talk to a, a doctor about this? But in general, I would say that Steph has acted as my therapist and my med provider and, and just somebody who I should, like everything should be, should go through her. And that role that she played, that instrumental role, that being a therapist, being a med provider in a marriage was a lot of stress for her. And I, and I believe that got really frustrating after a while. And so eventually I needed to find a way to do this more on my own where it was less of a burden for her so she could have more of a regular life. And we've transitioned into that now where, you know, I don't talk to her about the meds as much and I'm really consistent and locked in with what I want to do. We've communicated about everything and usually been on the same page with what medications to take and what to do next. So you're not just married. You also have children. Your children are pretty young. How have you dealt with pretty much your schizophrenia being part of the family relationship? Do they know? Has it caused any issues? It has been pretty normal overall. And both Andrew and I work in the mental health field. So I think that helps a lot. And um, our daughter is 14 now and our son is seven. And so it's just kind of where they're at developmentally to know how to talk about it with them. Our daughter just read our book last summer, I believe. Um, we said, yeah, it seems like a PG-13 book. <laughs> you can read children. And, you know, she had questions, but she's very mature. And actually, you know, considering genetics and things that are passed down, I mean, I can already see anxiety and, and depression kind of forming and, you know, the concerns about her future mental health. But because Andrew and I are so open and honest and we work in the field, I think that that conversation and that encouraging communication and comfort talking about what's going on has been really helpful. Um, we try to take things seriously at times. And then at other times we have to take things lightly and joke about things and use humor and just try to keep it balanced that way a bit. Yeah. And we have a seven-year-old boy and we're driving down the road and there was something on the radio about mental health. And you know, my son, James in the back, he goes, Hey dad, you have mental health, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I got mental health. You know, my daughter's in the car too. And we just started laughing, you know, so Ella being 14, she gets it. And she says the word schizophrenia, whereas James is more like, oh, dad has mental health. Or I think he says schizophrenia once in a while, but it's a total different experience. I've tried to use mental health in my journey as a inspiration for them too. And, and not been afraid to tell them, yeah, I'm, I am mentally ill because living a lie or pretending that I don't have it is really, really bad for me. I have to be upfront. And if I want to feel close to people, they usually need to know that I have schizophrenia and that I have this issue because it's such a major part of my life. And so my kids are no different. You know, I feel like they need to know what's going on in my life. When it came to having children, were you worried at all about them having schizophrenia or how that, how Andrew's schizophrenia might affect that? I would say yes, because of the reactions of others. For one, I think it's probably people's number one question that they ask us when we're sharing is talking about the kids and having that fear. And I think that it's there. It's in the back of my head, but like Andrew tries to remind me and I try to remind him is that with schizophrenia or with mental illness, there's also so many strengths in a person that we try to just really focus on those and try to build those up and build those skills because whether our children end up with schizophrenia, which does run in, in Andrew's side of the family, even beyond Andrew, um, or if they end up with anxiety or, or depression or anything, is just to have those skills to be able to to manage it. And then even beyond that, the hope of, of recovery. Right away at the beginning of our relationship, we had certain medical professionals, teachers, and different people in places of power or influence who were definitely worried about Steph and I having a relationship and having children. And we were told, don't have children. And I think that attitude has changed a little bit. And I'd like to say that I'm more on that revolutionary side or that really super hopeful side that says, why do we have to be so afraid of schizophrenia? Because I enjoy my life. 
I'm a happy human being. I like my daily life. And sometimes I feel more healthy or happy than people that don't have schizophrenia. So other people in my life I see are struggling with alcoholism or they're struggling with drug addiction or they're struggling with this, you name it. What life isn't going to have a struggle? And why do we have to think that schizophrenia is this just awful, horrible thing that you can never enjoy your life on? Part of my training as a peer support specialist was really rejecting the notion that schizophrenia was this endless, hopeless struggle and that you couldn't get better and that you couldn't be happy. So I've tried to have that forward thinking and not being afraid. And Stephanie has really helped me understand that if we can be there for our kids and talk to them and have this open relationship and be able to talk about mental illness and not be afraid of it, if we had early intervention, we even have less to worry about. That's absolutely awesome, Andrew. I love that attitude. Obviously, schizophrenia is a very serious mental disorder and whatnot, but I'm always like, you know, eh, it's not that bad. <laughs> I always tell yeah. me like, eh, a lot of things could be worse. Like, right. You know, comparative to the world's problems, I'm like, eh, you know, uh, but that's a really great attitude. And I loved your answer. I have so many people ask me, should people with mental disorders have children? And I'm like, I don't have any children, so I don't feel like I should answer that because I've never even been remotely in the situation. It hasn't happened. So it's really right. interesting to get to talk to you two who have already been there and have such a great outlook. What advice do you have for couples who are thinking about getting married and one of them has a very serious mental disorder like schizophrenia? Steph, do you want to go first on that one? You took the big risk. You were the one who were like, yep, I'm going to sign up for this. So... I just feel like you might have the best advice right away on this one. Okay. Again, communication is a huge part of a healthy relationship. And that got us through a lot. That communication piece is huge. And we needed to talk about things. We needed to process through things. And I needed to know that he was going to be receptive of what I was going to say. And we got to this point in our relationship when we talk about love and a lot of that was, can you put that other person's needs and happiness before yourself? And I tried to do that for him. And I think he could see that. He saw me model that through the time and the sacrifices that I made to be with him, to, to show up, to leave my college dorm and show up at the hospital and visit him there. And just to be there with him through those really difficult times. And then in turn, I could see that he wanted to do that for me. And his, his sickest moment, I didn't see that and that hurt. But pretty much the majority of the time, I knew that he wanted to put me first and make sure that he was going to be able to meet my needs in a relationship. And so I saw that potential. And I knew that we we're going to have to work through a lot together. But because he had that desire and he wanted to make those choices, I could tell that, you know, hopefully with the time and practice and training and like every relationship you, you want to teach different things. And now it's trying to get him to load the dishwasher properly, but <laughs> I knew that he was responsive and receptive to, to what I wanted. Yeah. And advice I would give to other couples or maybe someone that has a serious mental illness and is considering being in a relationship would be to make sure you feel prepared for an incredible journey and climbing a mountain. It's going to be difficult. And you're taking a lot of medications that are making you super tired and sick. Being in a relationship is going to make that more difficult. And it has been a really big challenge for me to have a wife and have kids. And I felt like at the beginning of the journey and throughout different periods of our life, that mountain has felt like it's just too hard to climb. And thankfully, I've been able to keep going. But I think you need to ask yourself, you know, what kind of intensity or what kind of pain can you put up with? What can you deal with? And everybody's going to be different. So everybody has a unique set of challenges and, and has different stressors. And so my advice might not be the best for somebody else in a relationship situation. I have a background in hockey. I played hockey through two torn rotator cuffs and three traumatic brain injuries. And so being in a marriage and having kids, I was used to training my body and used to taking a punishment. And so 
I just want to make it clear that it is a big adventure and it's not something to be taken lightly because you're joining two lives together and possibly more with kids. And it's not something to just rush into. And I feel so lucky that I found Steph because I feel that most other people I knew couldn't have put up with me. I was so lucky to find her because she was willing to deal with some really intense, weird stuff. It just keeps ringing in my mind to take your vows seriously, the in sickness or in death. I mean, <laughs> I did take those seriously. And, and as I went, I think I was 21 when we got married, pretty young. And when I said those vows in sickness and death, like I knew that that must mean somebody's going to get sick. <laughs> somebody's going to struggle. And how am I going to respond to that? I have a question for you, Stephanie. When Andrew may be starting to have a hard time, whether it's an episode or maybe side effects kicking him from medication, how do you know that's coming and how do you deal with it? How do you bring that up to him? So that is difficult to answer. But one thing that I do look for is irritability and anger and frustration. There's the right time or better times to talk to somebody about things my children know not to talk to me when I'm tired or hungry. They're just not going to get a good answer from me in the right tone and stuff. So looking for that with Andrew has been helpful. Um, if he is seeming really agitated, then I'm going to back off. But then it really, truly is important to confront at times. And as long as they know that you are somebody that is going to be consistent in their life, that you want to be that person that is accountable or keeping them accountable, I think if they can have that sense and use maybe wisdom or, or discernment, and if, if it's a good time to talk about it, then you're just going to bring it up and you're going to let them know how you're feeling or I'm feeling. And just letting them be aware. And this seems really off right now. And so not being afraid to have those conversations, but also considering the right timing of it. I would just add, too, that Steph has done a good job of challenging me on things that she was certain that I was being delusional or that I needed to change courses in my life or needed to recognize that I was feeling mentally ill. And she hasn't got it perfect every time, but she has taken those chances and been willing to say, Andrew, you're not doing well right now. I think you need to recognize that these thoughts that you're having are, they're delusional or that they're wrong and you need to make an adjustment in your life. And there's been other times in my life where she's backed off at just the right time and just given me space to heal. And so that is such a hard thing to know, like which one does he need? Does he need this challenge? Does he need this confrontation or does he need space? And that is, that is very difficult. But I will say when we work through the chaos and the challenge that there's usually a lot of growth and healing after that and a lot that we both learn from the experience. So it does prove worth it. Obviously, all marriages have conflict. Does any normal marital issues ever get blamed on the schizophrenia? That's a good question. Is I think at times... Maybe once in a while it does. I think normal things get changed into schizophrenia things. But Steph has been amazing for one, just not accepting the label. She doesn't see me as somebody with schizophrenia. And therefore, she doesn't have this, this set expectation from that. And I think that is a really destructive thing. So if you see somebody as a label or somebody with schizophrenia, then you're going to have that problem more often where regular things are getting attributed to schizophrenia. And she has been so great of not seeing me as somebody with schizophrenia, but more just as a person, just seeing me as Andrew. And that has really helped. Hearing you both speak, you just hear um, an absolutely like wonderful, very happy, supportive couple. The schizophrenia takes a back seat, which is awesome. So uh, I actually want to end the interview with Stephanie, if you could tell us about Andrew and then Andrew about her. Awesome. Okay. So Andrew was on my crush list in ninth grade and he was just this amazing person that was very skilled at hockey. And then he was this talented or is this talented musician that can play right now every instrument. And not only that, but he 
paints too. And when I first started hanging around with Andrew, which was like in college, when we first started dating, looking at his paintings and the depth and the creativity of his brain and the way it works was so fascinating to me. And we just kind of went on a journey together. I just knew that he had these qualities and these values that I loved. And he was so sensitive and easy to talk to. I fell in love and (laughs) um, he's been an absolutely wonderful husband. We do have our difficult times as everybody does. I just am so thankful to be with him and I'm proud of him. Stephanie has been on my radar since ninth grade as well. That's a long history. And, you know, I have actually a pretty hard time talking about the subject without just starting to cry like a baby because she really saved my life, you know. Um, She came to me when I was at absolute rock bottom and was basically the only person willing to get in my space not just be from a distance or say one thing here and there and just be really distant. She was not afraid of schizophrenia, was not afraid of mental illness, was not afraid of anything. She came into my life and stayed there. And I was so lucky to fall in love with her. She was willing to go somewhere really uncomfortable and be willing to be in somebody's space that was kind of scary. And I was scary when I was 19. I was a kind of a person you didn't want to be around because you were afraid of what was going on. Because of my success in hockey, my name was known across the country. And yet at that time, 19 years old, nobody wanted to be around me except for Stephanie. She saw me walking on the hill and she called me up and has changed my life. And I feel so fortunate to be with her and to watch her grow through all of this and to be such an impactful human being in the mental health service world. She's getting her graduate degree now. I'm just so proud of her. She's such an asset for this community, for kids in the community, for adults. She has served people all the years of my life. I'm so proud of her. That's awesome. Is there anything else that you two would like to share with our listeners here on Inside Schizophrenia? I would say... Just having hope is such a a big deal. And to know that we strongly support the mental health field and believe that having wraparound services is so important. But then also just knowing that if it's your neighbor, if it's a friend, and you're just there to support through having those conversations and being willing to go in those uncomfortable topics is really important. But having hope and the value of loving somebody um, in a way that sometimes you do have to have some sacrifice. Our culture, we've moved towards isolation so much. And I know that part of that is to do with COVID right now, but I would just encourage others to, to get involved in other people's lives and not from a distance and not from a safe place, but really get up close and personal and spend time with people and, and reach out and try to make a difference, not just from a comfortable space at home, but to get out there in the community and try to reach people that are struggling, try to help others avoid isolation. Awesome. So I know I have the book here, Marriage and Schizophrenia. Is there anything else y'all want to promote? We do have our book available, Marriage and Schizophrenia, Eyes on the Prize. It is on Amazon and and most other places. Paperback copy, but you can get the ebook for a dollar right now. Also, my music is available out there. My debut solo jazz album, Fighting Time. So Andrew Downing, Fighting Time is available on all the streaming platforms. Uh, Check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. It's awesome, for sure. He plays all instruments and writes the music. So to clarify, I don't play all instruments, but yes, I do play piano, bass, drums, and guitar on that album. How can our listeners find you? Are you all on any social media? Andrew Downing Music is on YouTube. I'm also on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Andrew Downing Music. The social media platforms that we have are more geared towards the music, but I also put stuff on there for our book as well. Thank you so much for spending this time talking to us. It's good and bad, but you're a rarity. It was incredibly (laughs) hard (laughs) for me doing research for this episode, getting to meet you both and hear you talk and how just absolutely uplifting you are and just 
honestly, relationship goals, hashtag. Um, Like, it's really, really awesome. Definitely giving our listeners and me also a lot of hope. Awesome. That's really great. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. And we're back. Rachel, what are your thoughts? I was taken away. The whole time they were talking, I loved it. It was very sweet. I think you can hear in their voices when they're talking back and forth. And sometimes you hear his voice begin to crack a little and you kind of hear it in hers. But you could just see that they've both been through a lot and they both love each other a whole lot. I don't know. I was so inspired by them. If I'm going to get married, that's what I want. I want that kind of partnership. It was nice. It was hopeful. And I absolutely love the way that they had already brought it up to their children. The young son saying, you have mental health. I feel like those kids you know, are able to ask questions. They're able to be knowledgeable and not be afraid of stereotypes. The schizophrenia was just something that as a couple they had to deal with, like managing the household or taking care of the children or taking care of the dog or planning a vacation. Managed schizophrenia was just something on the list. It wasn't the focal point, but it was important and something that they as a couple had to address. And I thought that was amazing because so often mental illness permeates too much and that's all they focus on or one person tries to handle it alone and not utilize the resource of their spouse or support system and that never turns out well either. I liked their management style. They didn't ignore schizophrenia, but they also didn't make it the focal point of their marriage. They made each other the focal point of their marriage. And this sounds like a mushy thing to say, Gabe, especially you know me, I'm, I'm pretty cool. But they gave me hope. They really did, you know, just how uplifting they were and the fact that they both kind of were like, hey, this is life. Relationships are not easy for anyone. Recently, a psychiatrist, who I only went to once, asked me why I was single. And she kept pressing me for answers. And I was getting really annoyed about this. Because I was there because I have severe depression also, and I needed a medication change. I understand why she was asking. She was asking pretty much how was I responding with sexual side effects of what I was currently on. And I'm like, no, I need medicine so I won't hurt myself not to go on the dating game. And a lot of times I feel people with schizophrenia are like me. We have so much to deal with, hallucinations, delusions, depressions, just getting out of bed, taking a shower some days is monumental. So trying to find a relationship, a person to date is the least important thing on my list. But listening to Andrew and Stephanie, it really helped me see that a relationship wasn't out of the picture for me. It didn't have to be, you know, the last thing on my list. It was more of a possibility. Thank you so much for listening. Like, share, subscribe with all of your friends and family. And we will see you next time here on Inside Schizophrenia. Inside Schizophrenia is presented by PsychCentral.com, America's largest and longest operating independent mental health website. Your host, Rachel Starr Withers, can be found online at rachelstarlive.com. Co-host Gabe Howard can be found online at gabehoward.com. For questions or to provide feedback, please email talkback at psychcentral.com. The official website for Inside Schizophrenia is psychcentral.com slash is. Thank you for listening, and please share widely. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.